0: Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you.
1: It's all in the mind. It's all in the mind. That's a phrase you often hear uh, with interviews with elite sports people. And I think that's one of the most compelling things about elite sport. Uh, Wimbledon starts again tomorrow. I wonder if we're excited about that. And I don't think many who watched the 2008 final between Nadal and Federer will ever forget it. Uh, Four hours, 48 minutes of playing time. Nadal goes up two sets, and Federer looks down and out, only to come back to two sets all. And then the momentum has totally swung Federer's way. Um, But as the nighttime approached in near-darkness, At 9.15 in the evening, Nadal pulled through to win that final set, 9-7. Incredible mental fortitude under immense pressure. And how did he handle the pressure? How did he stand firm till the end? It's all in the mind. Now, I'm really not trying to be overly dramatic here, but if we look at the situation we're in in the UK and the shifting mores of public opinion and the increased calls on the state... And to police speech. Um, If William, our senior pastor here, if he keeps and continues preaching the gospel faithfully, um, it's not out of the question, is it, that he could be sent to prison, say, in five years' time, in ten years' time, um, for something that the Bible says. Um, How would we handle that? And if we just raise our horizons for a moment, um, what is a scary prospect for us is a solemn reality for thousands of Christians around the world, I read recently of believers in uh, Iran, China, North Korea and Pakistan who've been arrested or worse for following the Lord Jesus. Um, how are they to handle that? And we've just finished um, what we could call in secular terms um, observing um, the religious month and the holy month of pride in this country. And although, as we know, not all of the um, surface causes of pride are wrong, uh, the underlying ideology, which flies under the rainbow flag, uh, is opposed to the Lord Jesus. And I know um, some of us in this room are under increasing pressure at work to conform or to compromise, or having to count the increasing cost of standing apart uh, from that anti-God ideology. And I think the question Philippians poses for us is, are we ready for that pressure? Are we ready to face the prospect even in the future of losing our jobs and for what we say. And how would we cope with that? Previously, Paul has laid out in principle how we can stand firm in the Lord Jesus. Now he lays out for us more directly in practice and ways and what it looks like to be believers under pressure uh, to stand firm. And even with this grounded earthly practice and practical instruction, it all starts in the mind. And the theory behind CBT, CBT, Uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, it's essentially right. Behavioural change comes from a changed mind. And Paul spells out for us the practical outworkings of the gospel mind, uh, the contented mind and the beautiful mind for us here uh, this evening. Uh, The first uh, mind, the gospel mind in verse 2 and 3. And as we have a look at those verses again, um, just think of the calibre of individual that Euodia and Syntyche must have been. Uh, Verse 2. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, this is not some childish and um, tabloid spat between Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rooney. Um, this is more like a dispute between um, Jess Davis and Anna Chasty, or Katie Gibbs and Sarah Addison. Um, some of the more experienced gospel workers here uh, amongst us. Yodia and and um, they were the OGs of gospel work in Philippi. Now, we aren't told exactly what the issue is. In fact, we're not even given a ballpark estimate. But it must have been pretty destabilizing and distracting for the church. Um, just ask the Tory party how easy it is to implement anything, even with an 80-seat majority, um, when you're not of the same mind. Um, It's reshuffle season at the moment, and my paper tells me yesterday that Rishi has some plans to get the party pulling together. Well, we'll see how that goes. But I think we're undersold a little bit with the words, to agree, in verse 2. It is literally, the same to think. The same words are used in chapter 2, verse 2, translated, the same mind. And on both occasions, the phrases come after Paul has spoken of his own mindset, which I think is what he means when he tells the Philippians to have the same mind in 2 verse 2 and Euodia and Syntheci to have the same mind here. He means have the same mind as me, the same mind as Paul. And Paul goes on to explain in chapter 2 that this mind or mindset is not intrinsically his. It doesn't emanate organically and from his own nature. But in 2 verse 5, have this mind. This is the mind Paul has and we can have. In Christ Jesus. It's the gospel mind. It's the mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's set out in chapter two, verses five to 11. And I think uh, it's a few weeks since we've seen it. So it's worth reminding ourselves about that again. And this is the mindset of God. Let me read that for us in chapter two, verse five to 11. Paul said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The solution to the disagreement between Yodia and Syntyche is for them to reapply the gospel mind they have in the Lord Jesus and modelled by Paul. Self-sacrificial service for the salvation of others. Um, now, last weekend, I watched the Super Rugby final, uh, Super Rugby in New Zealand, sort of the, the Mecca of rugby, And the Crusaders won their seventh title in a row, an incredible feat. One of their key players is a man called Sam Whitelock. He's 34 years old. Um, He's also part of the New Zealand national team. And it's World Cup year, probably his last World Cup. And he had quite a serious ankle injury. And the national team staff asked him not to play in this final. Um, But he had such a bond with his teammates and such a desire to help them win the prize that he played a full 80 minutes um, against doctor's orders, potentially sacrificing his health uh, and his World Cup hopes. Now, in the gospel, um, we have a much better prize than a gold trophy for throwing an oversized rubber egg around. And that is, um, our names in this verse are in the book of life. And Paul's solution to Euodia and disagreement is getting their head straight on the surpassing importance of the gospel cause. Um, and the gospel prize. Whatever it is between them, it matters nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to their names and the names of others and being in the book of life, being there on the day of the resurrection of the dead. The solution to Christian disagreement is to apply the gospel mind you have uh, in the Lord Jesus. And if needs be, get some trust in others to help with that as well. Now, there are some issues in church Um, because of serious sin and relational breakdown that perhaps need more time and more work to reconcile. And the truth is, some scars uh, will never fully heal in this life. But so many disagreements are not of that nature at all. And we could absolutely um, solve most of them um, by getting over ourselves, by counting others as more significant as us, and having our minds fixed on what really matters, and seeing people turn from death death. To life. And even amongst seasoned gospel workers, and when the pressure comes on, there are bound to be relational cracks here and there. But in the Lord Jesus, we have something that unites us and holds us together with a power a political party could only dream of. And the gospel mind. And that's the first thing we need to stand firm practically uh, under pressure. Secondly, the contented mind. That's in verses four to seven. And in these verses, we get three. Sets of commands which speak of the radical contentment available in the Lord Jesus, even amidst pressure. And they're all connected to the nearness of the Lord Jesus. It starts in verse 5. And did you notice how radical a statement this is? Sorry, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice And that is radical, isn't it? To rejoice always. Um, Is that even possible? Is it possible? Um, Is it even Christian, that statement? How can you tell a grieving widow at the grave of her husband to rejoice in the Lord? Did the Lord Jesus rejoice at the graves of Lazarus? Or on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Was he rejoicing then? Um, How can Paul say this? Well, we need to understand what the heart of rejoicing is. And rejoicing in the Bible is connected to the saving presence of God. And if we're in the Lord and we are connected to his saving presence, and no matter what happens, and we can rejoice in what we have in him. Supremely, and that is in the totality of his saving presence to come. As we've seen, Paul has just spoken about our names being written in the book of life. And that is always the ground for our rejoicing. Paul put it a bit earlier in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, like this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So incredibly, yes, Hebrews tells us that the Lord Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him and for the joy of the salvation that he was achieving for the whole world. Paul can elsewhere say of the suffering he faced for holding out the gospel, that he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The Christian can be in deepest sorrow, but always rejoicing. Notice in our verses, Paul says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice future tense. I say it now, um, I'm in prison, you're under pressure. But whatever happens, even if it gets much worse, no matter what, I will say again, rejoice. And the Lord Jesus has won. He is near, he will return, and he will put everything right. Expressive thankfulness um, has its place at the right time, but it's not always appropriate But no matter what the circumstance, rejoicing in the Lord is always the right thing to do. So even at the saddest of funerals, um, we do grieve deeply, but not as those who have no hope. Um, Rejoice. And that is the first stage of having a radically contented mind. Second is reasonableness. And Paul can say this for a similar reason. Um, He says in verse 5, and let your reasonableness be known to everyone, and the Lord is at hand. Now I don't know if you found this at school, um, but I found this at school. I think a, a sad thing at school was that the kids who were bullied, um, they themselves were often very prickly, uh, and then, um, as a result of that, they were hard to get alongside or to get on with. It was a bit of a vicious cycle. I think it makes sense in one way. It's a sort of self-defense mechanism uh, against being bullied, I guess. But it's not, not a mechanism and um, the follower of Jesus needs to use. Uh, we're not to develop a, short, a sort of spiritual short man syndrome in the face of opposition. Um, there is pressure on real believers um, who publicly live for the Lord Jesus. Um, but the Lord is near. And in the Bible timeline, um, he is like a conquering general at the very gates of this world. The next thing he's going to do is to take the world and no wrong won't be put right. No injustice will be left undealt with. So no matter how hard it gets, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to all. So don't lash out and don't play the victim. Um, Yes, if you're mistreated at work, It's totally proper to use the HR procedures and employment law if there's a genuine grievance. But don't be obnoxiously always standing on your rights. Um, You can be reasonable. You can be gentle with people because the Lord Jesus is near and he will return. The reasonableness of the contented mind. And third here, um, the requests. Now, the nearness of the Lord in the Bible is also used spatially. David says in Psalm 145, verse 8, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And the Lord is near to all those who genuinely pray to him. Uh, Verse 6 and 7, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The old hymn is true. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And there are innumerable things uh, we can be anxious about. And because we have a loving Heavenly Father, we can pray about them. Um this week, you may have had an important, actually, to be honest, this is a story about me, but I was too embarrassed to say it was about me, but now I've, now I've revealed that. Um, you may have, I did have, a, an important delivery uh, coming uh, to my house. I also had an unmissab- unmissable engagement, and uh, the delivery person phoned, and he said he'll be there in 45 minutes. Uh, two hours later, and sort of five minutes before I needed to, absolutely had to leave, um, I still had to have a shower before I left. Um, he hadn't turned up and I was quite anxious about that. Um, we can pray about that because um, the Lord Jesus um, has made a way that we can pray to a loving heavenly father who cares about all things that we care about. But there are some particular worries that are explicit uh, in this letter. One example is the same word as used of Timothy, who Paul says in chapter two, verse 20, is genuinely concerned or worried for the Philippians' welfare. One of the things we most worry about is people, isn't it? And we had a, a teacher around for dinner on Friday night uh, who helps run a school. Uh, no, a school. Well, she does, I guess. She helped run a CU, a Christian union meeting uh, in her school. And the girls at the CU, uh, they are really trying to stand publicly for the Lord Jesus. Um, but it is brutal for them. The in-person backlash is bad enough. But the social media response to what they say is something else. And if you're their Christian teacher or their Christian parent, you would be concerned for them, wouldn't you? But the way to handle that, Paul says, is to pray. And I found it, uh, I think it it is amazing, and maybe others of us will be able to attest to this as well. I found that as I brought my requests about people to the Lord, uh, in his kindness, he does grant us his peace. Rejoice, reasonableness, requests. They're all aspects of the contented mind in the Lord Jesus we can face any situation in life with. And isn't that what um, we all want? Isn't that actually a really attractive thing? Your YouTube algorithm probably uh, is much more interesting than mine. But for some reason, a few months ago, um, my YouTube sidebar was full of videos promoting stoicism or stoicism uh, for the modern man or woman. Start the day with the same 10 steps as Marcus Aurelius uh, was one such video. Um, Promises of contentment, controlled, a settled mind. And at one stage in the academy at universities, it was popular to say that Stoicism and the New Testament um, were singing from the same hymn sheet. But nothing could be further from the truth. Um, At university, I did did manage to be told to read one or two uh, sort of interesting books. And one of them was a study, a comparative study between Stoicism and Christianity. And there's many different things um, about the two, as well as a completely different conception of God. But two of the important things uh, on this scale are this. Um, Stoicism, um, a way of life of Stoicism, uh, means an uh, ever-increasing self-reliance on yourself, an ever-increasing cycle of self-reliance on yourself. Whereas the New Testament encourages an ever-increasing distrust of ourselves and an ever-increasing reliance on the Lord Jesus. And knowing myself, I know which one uh, is more helpful. And secondly, the the other big difference is on um, eschatology. It's just a posh word uh, for the end of the world. Stoicism has the same view as the Lion King. uh, It's a circle of life continuously. But the New Testament says, um, there is a beginning... And there will be an end and justice will be done and the Lord Jesus will return and put all things right. And and there is a perfect world to come. It's on that basis that we can be content on whatever happens in the present. The contented mind. And lastly, uh, the beautiful mind. Uh, Verses eight and nine. Uh, Verse eight probably has played a key part in keeping a number of fridge magnet companies uh, in business but it must be properly understood uh, alongside verse nine. So verse eight and nine. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, sometimes verse 8 has been taken as an affirmation of the best of first century culture and ethics. Give yourself to pondering Greek art and architecture and academic learning. Now, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, and I'm sympathetic to aspects of it. I happen to think, for example, uh, that where possible, allowing people to live in well-designed neighborhoods um, rather than in the midst of a brutalist monstrosity uh, is good for one's mental health. Pachelbel's canon in D major is less harmful than drill music. Uh, watching the Lord of the Rings is better for our souls than watching Game of Thrones. If we fill our minds with rubbish, we shouldn't be surprised if we practice rubbish in our lives. But surely Paul's main concern here is not about higher Roman culture or ethics. And There's just no contextual evidence, I think, in Philippians or the New Testament that makes me think for a moment that Paul is primarily referring to primarily referring to that here. Uh, When Paul was in Athens, for example, um, did he get a selfie at the Parthenon uh, like maybe we would? Um, Did he say, wow, at all the great sights to see? Um, No, he said, "Woe," and perhaps he even wept. In Acts 17, he uses a very strong word, which tells us he was greatly distressed and angered at the idolatry he saw. What Paul has held up as true and honourable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy is the work of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is what we're to fill our mind with and to consider. The revelation of God culminating in the person of Jesus that we find in the word of God. And it's Bible 101, if you've read the Bible, that meditating on the revealed mind of God is the way to fill our mind with beautiful things. Psalm 1 says of the blessed man, that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There is actually nothing more beautiful than the mind of God, and and we don't see it any more clearly than in the incarnated person of the Lord Jesus, and how he treated people, and what he taught, and as we heard from these guys earlier, and his condescending death on the cross, his commitment to the cross for our sake, and some of us um, on the team here at St. Helens uh, were at a conference this week um, for gospel ministers. And we were challenged that if we don't really have the time to just to read the Bible for ourselves and to think about it, um, we should probably delete our social media or change our diaries or do whatever it takes to do that. Now, I'm a bit of a Luddite, so I don't really have any social media. Um, but I have deleted, just in the last um, few days, the browser from my phone. And even in a few days, it's amazing how much time one really has and um, to think about the things of God. And it might be a new or scary prospect for some of us to sit down and read the Bible. And one of the things that helped me when I started was to read the Bible um, alongside someone else's brief comments and reflections. And it just gave me a bit of ballast when I was a bit lost. And I used one of these series. I find them quite helpful. The For You series from The Good Book Company. They just give you little reflections going through a book of the Bible. There's some on Galatians, and um, 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, on the bookstall, if that would help you. And I'm sure the devil does all he can uh, to stop us from doing that. Um, but when we do get down to looking at the word of God, it is a real joy uh, cultivating a beautiful mind by thinking of what um, the Lord has done and the Lord has said. And the beautiful mind leads to the beautiful life. Through this letter, time and time again, we see the mindset of the Lord Jesus is modelled in the life of the Apostle Paul. And we are to put into practice, verse 9 says, all we have learned, received, heard and seen in him. And when we really stop and think about it, um, isn't Paul's life and the sort of life we really want? Paul had a real and deep, um, he had lots of real and deep friendships and partnerships with people all over the world. And just think of his relationship with the Philippians here. Or read the greeting at the end of Romans to all his friends there. And when all is said and done, um, what do we want said about us at our funeral? Um, He was a nice guy who kept himself to himself. She really followed her dream and her own path in life. Well, if your dreams are anything like mine, um, let's stuff our little dreams. Um, Yes, uh, we will sit under our own vine and our own fig tree in the new creation. Or whatever a good version of that is for you. Yes, it's not wrong to desire a quiet life now, but that has to go alongside the fact that this is the window for proclamation. And this is the gospel age, the age where people can be won and kept for eternal life. I don't know if Paul had any sort of funeral, but what do you think would have been said about him uh, if he did? And he gave his life in the sacrificial service of others. And he gave himself to person after person after person He prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He gave everything for the sake of knowing Jesus, knowing the power of his resurrection, that he might attain to the day of the resurrection of the dead. And this is the beautiful life, a life poured out in costly service for the eternal salvation of others. And to walk with the God of peace has nothing to do with walking the Camino or frequenting a cathedral or aggressive hand clapping, uh, whatever it is. Um, It's putting into practice what Paul did. And to do that, we need to be cultivating the beautiful mind as we contemplate the things of God. And that is what will keep us standing firm and when the going gets tough. Standing firm under pressure, uh, it's all in the mind. We need to get our thinking straight. We have the gospel mind, the contented mind, and the beautiful mind um, in the Lord Jesus. It's not easy, um, but would we really want to live another way. Allow me to do us in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much that in the Lord Jesus. You give us everything we need to face death, but also to face life. Please help us again and again to look to all we have in the Lord Jesus, especially in light of his return, that we might continue to stand firm and continue to see his gospel advance around the world. Amen.